podcast, English with Kaya, where I talk about various interesting topics in comprehensible English. You're listening to Kaya, and today we will talk about my trip to Buhara, the ancient city on the Great Silk Road located in modern day Uzbekistan. I traveled to Bukhara and stayed there for one week in late May this year, which is about one month ago. First of all, I will split my Bukhara travel diaries into two episodes. This is the first episode, and in the next episode, I will continue speaking about my stay in Bukhara. So, there will be two Buhara episodes. As I mentioned before, I stayed in Buhara for a week or eight days to be exact. In this episode, I will talk about the first four days I spent in Buhara. And in the next episode, I will speak about the following four days that I spent in the beautiful town of Buhara. Let's begin. On the first day, I took a bullet train, which is a very fast train, called Afrosiob from Tashkent to Buhara. It took about three and a half hours. When I got to Buhara, I took the local bus, which took me from the train station to the city center. The ticket for the bus cost just 20 cents. And if I had taken a taxi, it would have cost about $2. So that's a big difference. Recently, I've been watching a lot of travel shows, and among them is a Ukrainian travel show called Heads and Tails Reloaded. In Russian, it's called Aryol Ireshka Perezagruska. And I'm watching this travel show quite often, and in that travel show, one of the hosts, out of two, has to travel for two days with just $100 in his or her pocket. And I was influenced by that travel show, and I wanted to travel as cheaply as possible, which is why I took the local bus and not a taxi. But I ended up spending quite a lot of money um, after my first day in Bahara, so I didn't really uh, manage to travel that cheaply. But I did manage to travel not using too much money. The bus took me to the city center to a fortress called the Ark. The Ark is kind of a landmark in the city center of Bukhara, and it is a big fortress. I bought a ticket and I went inside. I looked at the museums and the ancient walls and the souvenir shops, but to be honest, the Ark was not that interesting. <laughs> and after that, um, the first day when I got there, it was already in the afternoon and it was kind of chilly and it was very windy. So I just took a brief walk around the city center. And when I was walking in one of the bazaars, which is located in the city center, I bumped into a lady who spoke Japanese and 
it was a coincidence. Obviously, I didn't know her at that time. She turned out to be the CEO of a travel company in Tashkent, and she spoke fluent Japanese, and she was also the friend of someone I already knew, uh, a girl who works in the Uzbek government in the Ministry of Tourism. She is also from Japan. And we were very surprised because we had a mutual friend and we both spoke Japanese. It turned out that this lady, she knew quite a lot about Japan. It was a good reminder that we live in a small world. It's a small world after all. On the second day, I went to all the sightseeing spots in Buhara and I walked a lot. It was super windy. So my umbrella, which I had taken with me to protect myself from the scorching sun, kept on flipping this way and that. And I had to turn the umbrella against the strong wind to flip it back into the right shape. I was constantly turning my umbrella against the wind to try to get the umbrella to kind of flip back into its right shape. The city center of the old city of Buhara is made primarily of stone and it is very historic and atmospheric. The old living quarters have retained their original shape and form. Strolling through the labyrinth or the maze, the, a labyrinth or you can say a maze is a complicated structure in which you're supposed to get lost and you have to find your way out through the exit and the exit is usually hard to find so strolling through this labyrinth this maze of old white houses and narrow cobblestone streets was a great way to enjoy the historic atmosphere of Buhara. Buhara is the only city in Uzbekistan that has retained the ancient atmosphere of the Silk Road. And if you walk through the maze of old houses in the city center during the day, you can occasionally hear Muslim prayers sung by men coming from the speakers from the mosques located nearby at prayer time. And by the way, there are five times during the day when men pray at mosques. Therefore, if you are walking through this ancient city quarter, sometimes you will hear like, like these Muslim prayers for coming from the speakers. And that also adds to the vibe, to the atmosphere of the old quarter. And talking about sightseeing spots in Buhara, if you are active, you can go to all of them in one day because they are all located within walking distance from one another. So I'll go through these sightseeing spots and what kind of impression they left on me. First, there's the Labi Havuz, which is a pond located in the very center of the old city. Near the Labi Havuz, which is just basically an artificial pond, with people sitting around it, relaxing, eating, eating ice cream, children screaming and, and playing around. There is a madrasa, the Nodir Devon Begi Honakosi, uh, which is an 
ancient Muslim madrasa, a mosque. And also there's the Nodir Devon Begi Madrasa Si, which is a madrasa. Madrasa is a religious Muslim school. It's a religious piece of architecture where in the past and also today, men who are studying to become imams and religious clergymen study. Another place, which is a great place, and I went there twice, I recommend you to visit this place if you are ever in Bukhara, is called Chor Minor. Chor Minor is a monument, and in Persian, the name Chor Minor means four minarets, that refers to the building's four towers. It's a beautiful piece of architecture. It's a beautiful building. On one of the domes, out of the four towers, there is a replica of a stork's nest with a replica of a stork in it. The replica was put there because in the past, up until the 19th or 20th century, real storks used to nest there on the tops of the domes. Unfortunately, these birds have disappeared from Buhara because of the climate, or to be more exact, because of climate change, which has in recent years become hotter and drier in Uzbekistan due to global warming and the disappearance of the Aral Sea. In old photos of Buhara, you can see a lot of storks and storks' nests on top of mosques and madrasas. This Chorminor is picturesque. It is pretty. The four domes are blue and the building itself is quite compact. It's not that big, but it's it looks nice. It, and, and you can also climb onto the roof on near the domes. So you can see the replica of the stork's nest at a quite a close distance. When I went to Chorminor for the second time, I climbed onto the roof at sunset and the sun was sending its orange rays onto the domes and onto the roof, and it was very beautiful. Next, there is the Magoki Atoy Masjidi. <laughs> These names are very difficult to pronounce and impossible to remember, obviously. <laughs> and this one is a mosque. Another place in Buhara is Toki. And this is one of the three bazaars in central Bukhara that is covered by a round stone dome. And this is where I met the lady on my first day there. By the way, the three bazaars in central Bukhara are covered by stone domes. And there you can buy a lot of souvenirs. You can buy basically anything really that you want because they have a lot of stuff for tourists. All right, and there is also the Ulugbek Madrasa, which is a madrasa built by the astronomer Ulugbek. For more information about Ulugbek, please check out episode 9 of my podcast, where I talk about Samarkand and Ulugbek. There is also the Abdulazizhan Madrasa, which is, again, a madrasa, a beautiful Muslim building, a religious building where you can buy lots of souvenirs. And here, they sell beautifully embroidered Suzanis and handmade textiles. 
There is also a mosque which has very elaborate blue designs on the walls, and this is called the Kalon Mosque or the Kalon Masjidi. And right next to it, on a square, there is the Kalon Minaret, or in Uzbek, the Kalon Minorasi. Kalon Minorasi is a tall tower. Kalon means big in Tajik. This tower used to serve as a landmark for people traveling in caravans across the desert who wanted to come to Bukhara. In addition, in the 18th and 19th centuries, this tower was also used as a place of execution where criminals were put in bags and thrown from the top of the tower. Oh, okay, I, I don't want to imagine that, okay? <laughs> and thus this tower was also known as the Tower of Death. But today, if you go to this tower and also to the Kalan Mosque, it is lighted up, it is illuminated in the evenings and at night. So local people and children are taking walks, strolling, hanging out with their friends and family and just chilling on the square, under the tower, and near the Kalan Mosque. And it's a very relaxing place to be. Obviously, no one is being thrown off the tower these days, thank God. And I went there in the evenings several times, and it made me feel super chill. Oh, it helped me unwind. I ate a lot of ice cream, sitting on the bench under the tower, uh, looking at the illuminated tower and the madrasas. It was nice. It was beautiful. And there's also the Mir Arab Madrasa, which is another madrasa, and the Ark, which I already told you looks nice from the outside, but inside is quite boring. The inside wasn't that interesting for me. So I told you that there are a lot of mosques and madrasas and minarets and several towers in the center of Bukhara. In short, there is a lot of Muslim architecture there. After exploring all of these buildings in one day, I felt fatigued. Fatigued means exhausted. And honestly speaking, um, at the end of the day, I was tired of Muslim architecture. After seeing a dozen madrasas in one day, I just felt exhausted. I saw one madrasa, then I walked for five minutes, and then another madrasa, which looked exactly like the other one. And then I walked for another ten minutes, and I saw another mosque, a madrasa, and it looked kind of similar to the one I had seen ten minutes earlier. I was like, what, another one? And they all look slightly or very similar. Ugh. <laughs> Obviously, all of these buildings are beautiful. They're all part of the UNESCO World Heritage. They are super mm, delightful. If you see one or two, you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. I love it. Oh my gosh, this is magical. These mosques have a mysterious atmosphere. And yes, one or two is nice, or maybe even three is nice. But when you see 10, 15 of them in one day, at the end, you're like, oh. Oh, please, no, no more mosques today. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. And this reminded me of the time I explored a bunch of Russian Orthodox churches in the countryside near St. Petersburg in Russia. This was about 10 years ago when I was studying in Russia. And by the end of the day, 
after having looked at five or six Russian Orthodox churches, I was tired of looking at Russian Orthodox churches because I had seen so many of them. Yes, Russian Orthodox churches are beautiful. The icons, the altar, the exteriors, the interiors are very artistic, colorful, elaborate, intricate. I agree, they are beautiful and atmospheric and religious. But if you see five or six of them in one day, they can exhaust you. So it felt like binge drinking, you know, binge, binge watch. Like you say, you can say I binge watched a lot of Netflix series. So if you watch, for example, I don't know, nine or 10 episodes of one season of The Office or Friends or a Korean drama on Netflix, you are binge watching. You, you do the same thing or you consume the same kind of material but a lot of it in a very short period of time. I remember one time I binge watched, actually we, I watched one whole season of the series The Good Place on Netflix. The series is called The Good Place with my friend in Tokyo. We binge watched that drama um, we watched like 10 or 12 episodes in one day, which is crazy. So binge watching something can make you feel fatigued and tired. And at the end of the day, you don't want any more of it. You're like, no, no, I'm not going to, you know, that's enough. So I binge watched a bunch of Muslim architecture. Okay, you usually don't say binge watch us like a, like, a, like a building. You binge watch a drama or a series on Netflix. Uh, but, you know, this is just a metaphor. I'm comparing the experience because it's similar. I binge watched a lot of Muslim buildings in one day. And by the end, I was exhausted. Like, I was like, no, 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 no more madrasas for me, please. <laughs> I need a break. But they were all beautiful, just super magical, enchanting, enchanting. That's the word. Enchanting means it's an adjective. It means magical. It enchants you, right? Okay. After looking and going around all of these madrasas and mosques and minarets, I went to a restaurant in the center of Bukhara. By the way, there are several very good restaurants in central Bukhara. You can Google them. And the one I went to, or rather all of them in central Bukhara, they are expensive. And when I mean expensive, I mean that they serve good food, but they are too expensive for Uzbekistan because you end up paying for one person 15 or $20 for one meal. And you might think that's not expensive, that's cheap. Because in Europe um, or even in Japan or other places around the world in developed countries, paying 15 or $20 for one meal is normal. I mean, it's not considered to be expensive, but in Uzbekistan, if you go to a local restaurant, you can have a very good meal for $5, maximum $10. There is a canteen near my apartment in Tashkent where they serve good food, and there I usually eat a decent meal for $4, for $5. And that is the average you pay for food in Uzbekistan. So to pay $15 or $20 for one dinner, for one meal in Uzbekistan, that's just robbery. Okay, not robbery. That's like, that's expensive. That is costly. 
And the reason why it's expensive is because obviously、um, people in Bukhara know that tourists from Europe and Asia and other parts of the world have a lot of money and they are willing to pay for food. So the service charge is always 15%, which means that even if you order food that costs around $12, you end up paying $15 in the end. And That's why, okay, this is the reason why I said I ended up spending more money in Bukhara than I originally intended to because the restaurants were quite expensive.、They're, obviously, these restaurants are targeted at tourists. Local people would never eat there. Also, the things that were expensive in Bukhara were not just the restaurants, but also the souvenirs because they're targeted at tourists. Also, the rickshaws, they were also expensive. They cost $2 for a five minute ride, which is absolutely ridiculous because in Uzbekistan, even in Tashkent, a 30 minute taxi ride usually costs $2. So, taking $2 from a customer for a five minute ride, that's just silly if you compare with the, with the local prices. By the way, a rickshaw is. A, it's basically、um, like a carriage that is pulled by a human being, by a person. And the word rickshaw actually originates from the Japanese word jindiksha because jin means human, riki means power, and sha means vehicle. So jindiksha, and a carriage pulled by a human, which literally means a human powered vehicle. And that word. From Japanese made its way into English, and now a rickshaw is a word that means a carriage pulled by a human. And that was my second day in Bukhara. And on my third day in Bukhara, after I had, well, I, I'd already seen all the sites in the center of the city, they were all very beautiful. So on the third day, I decided to go to other places within Bukhara. Or near Bukhara that were interesting. And I ordered a taxi on Yandex Taxi, which is an app that people use in Russia and Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan, maybe other countries in、uh, the post Soviet Union, maybe in other post Soviet Union countries as well. And my taxi driver and I became good friends. This guy, I think he's in his 60s. He Is the nicest taxi driver I have ever met in my life. And he took me to all of the places I went to on my third day and on my fourth day in Bukhara. So he took me around for two days and he was super helpful, super nice, super generous, always helping me out. I'll tell you more about him as we go on this journey. All right, so on my third day, first I went to the Summer Palace. Which is located in Bukhara, about 15 minutes drive away from the city center. The Summer Palace, which is called the Sitorai Mohi Hossa. <laughs> Sitorai Mohi Hossa. Yes, that is also difficult to pronounce. This Summer Palace, it is basically a European style architecture, and it is similar to the palaces and buildings. In St. Petersburg in Russia. This Sitrai Mohi Hossa was built by the Emir rulers 
and their descendants now live in Turkey. The Summer Palace has luxurious and lavish interiors, colorful tiles, glamorous chandeliers, Chinese and Japanese ceramics, expensive furniture, wooden shelves and samovars made in 19th century Russia, elaborate designs on the walls, marble walls, and beautiful courtyards. Walking around in the Sitorai Mohihosa made me feel as if I was back in Russia in St. Petersburg because, as I mentioned before, 10 years ago, when I was studying in Russia, I traveled a lot in Russia and I visited all the palaces and nice places near Moscow and St. Petersburg. And the palaces near St. Petersburg are colorful, elaborate, luxurious, in a word, very beautiful. And this summer palace in Bukhara was also modeled on the architectural style of St. Petersburg because the ruler of Bukhara said that he wants to live in a place that's similar to St. Petersburg. He was in St. Petersburg and he liked it there. So he brought a bunch of Russian architects to Bukhara, had them collaborate with Uzbek architects, and together they collaborated and made this summer palace, which resembles a summer, the summer palace in St. Petersburg. It's a really nice place. It's very cool. It also has trees and nature in the courtyard. The buildings themselves are also elaborate, nice to walk in, nice to look at. After all the Muslim buildings that I had seen the day before, to be honest, I was kind of relieved to take a break from Muslim architecture and just look at like, like this European-style architecture. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice change. And after that, I went on the same taxi, and this same taxi driver, who was super nice, he took me to a place called the Bahaudin Naqshband Majmuase, which is an architectural complex made up of several mosques and other religious Muslim architecture. Local people call it the second Mecca. I couldn't really understand the reason why, because to be honest, this Naqshban Majmuasi, yes, it's a nice place. Yes, it has nice Muslim architecture, but it's not like super amazing. Like what I call super amazing is the Shahi Zinda in Samarkand. I mean, this one, it's basically a complex with a lot of Muslim style mosques in it and local people said oh this is the second Mecca people come here to pray it's a very religious place and yeah I I guess that's true but I couldn't really see why people call it the second Mecca because it's not it's well it's nice but it's not that amazing um, but maybe there is a religious reason for it who knows I went there and I walked around, I, I looked at all these buildings, went inside some of them. Again, it was very windy on that day as well, and my umbrella kept on whooshing, kind of flying this way and that, and I almost got blown away by the wind. The gush of wind would simply push me this way and that, and I had to run into the mosque to protect myself from the strong wind. 
After the Bahaudin Nakshban Majmasi, I went to a craft shop near Buhara where artisans were making pottery and Suzani's. A Suzani is a traditional embroidery that's made in Uzbekistan and other Central Asian countries. This craft shop was run by a family that had run this shop for many generations. So the owner now is a man, is an artisan, and he has been awarded several prizes by the president of Uzbekistan for his cultural and artistic contribution to the cultural heritage of his country. He is a famous artisan, and his father and his grandfather, his great-grandfather and his great-great-grandfather and many more of his forefathers had done the same thing. They had made beautiful pottery. They had created a lot of Suzani's. Therefore, it's a very historical family. It's a historical crafts shop. It's a historical workshop where the family is constantly making pottery and Suzani's. They also served us free lunch, which was very kind of them. And they also took us on a free excursion, a free tour around the craft shop. They showed us how the Suzani's were made, how the pottery was made. They showed us a lot of their artwork. And the potteries were... It's interesting because according to what the artisans there told us, depending on where the pottery is made in Uzbekistan, the style of the pottery, the designs in the, on the pottery, and the color of the pottery itself is different. So pottery that is made in places like Bukhara or Gijduvan are mostly yellowish in color, whereas the pottery that is made in the eastern part of the country in the Fergana Valley in places like Kokand or Margilan that is also in Uzbekistan, they tend to be blue, like bluish. They have a bluish hue. And they told us that by just looking at the pottery, you can tell where it's from within Uzbekistan. They told us that also artisans in Afghanistan make uh, similar kinds of pottery, but you can tell that it's from Afghanistan because the style, the color, the designs, or maybe even the shape is slightly different. All right, after getting back to the hostel on that day in Bukhara, I was talking with the lady who was running the hostel. Actually, we talked every, we were talking every day because she spoke Russian, I speak Russian, and we were talking and like, conversing in Russian all the time. Uh, for example, when I was eating breakfast or when I was eating dinner or after I had come home, we were talking about many things and it turns out that the lady who runs that hostel usually lives in Tashkent because her daughter is the actual owner of the hostel and that lady she lives in the apartment that is located next to the bank that is located next to the school where I work in Tashkent and we were like oh my gosh it turned out that we usually go to the same store near that school. Um, and, and we were very surprised. Um, oh, what a coincidence. And 
And she invited me to come to her apartment for tea. And I was like, of course, I'll go and visit you once I'm back in Tashkent. And we were like, yay. And we exchanged our phone numbers. And it also turned out that her sister lives very close to my apartment in Tashkent, um, which is located in a different district of Tashkent, uh, a little bit far from the school. And we said, oh, what a coincidence that your sister lives close to my apartment. Um, It's a very small world. Moving on. On my fourth day in Bukhara, I visited Chorbakro Nekropol and Tudakul Lake and also a bathhouse. And I'll tell you about that in more detail now. So I went on the taxi, the same taxi with the same driver because I told you that I had an amazing taxi driver and he said, oh, I'll take you to all these places. He was very helpful. He bought me lunch. He he gave me a lot of food and he, he was just super generous. Um, sometimes, you know, taxi driver, there are many types of taxi drivers. Once when I was in London, um, I went on a taxi and the taxi driver ripped ripped me off. So if you rip someone off, you ask, you you make that person pay you more money than they're supposed to pay. So maybe I was supposed to pay 60 pounds and then he asked me to pay 100 pounds. So he ripped me off. The taxi driver in London ripped me off. That happened about... I don't remember, 12, 13 years ago now. And since then, I have been very wary of taxi drivers. The taxi drivers here in Uzbekistan are mostly, I mean, they're mostly nice. Once or twice I've met a, like some shady folks, but um, most of them are decent drivers. But this guy, he like he's an angel. Like He was so nice. And the first place that he took me to was called the Chorbakru Necropol, which translates as the city of the dead. Ooh, yeah, that sounds scary. <laughs> so, this place is an architectural complex where the tombs of people from the past are located. So, the tombs and graveyards. And actually, it's a nice, it's like a big graveyard, except it's very luxurious the it's made out of solid stone there are several mosques there it's a religious place where people go to pray or to respect the dead but to be honest i was a little bit scared so when i was going into a a graveyard i waited for other tourists to join me or to come in and then i followed them in because i didn't want to be alone in a big graveyard by myself um, I'm not superstitious, but I can be cowardly sometimes. And yeah, just being alone in a graveyard makes me feel a little bit scared. So um, that's why I, I waited for other tourists to come in and then I kind of followed them in. <laughs> and, and once I waited quite like, I don't know, like 10 minutes for someone to come and then a French couple came into the graveyard. So I followed them in and then the French couple offered to take several photos of me with my phone so that was nice they were very friendly walking around in that graveyard reminded me of the movie Coco so Coco 
is uh, it's a Pixar movie where a little boy goes into a graveyard and then he accidentally um, goes to the realm, the the world of the dead, where he meets his relatives and. Maybe it's because I had seen Coco. Maybe that's why I was a little bit scared of being in the graveyard by myself. Anyway, the graveyard was it's it was beautiful. It, like each and every single grave, each and every single tomb was decorated in some way. It usually by some you know some blue decorations, um, but sometimes with like very elaborate uh, designs of like flowers and abstract uh, symbols. Very nice, very impressive. And after exploring the necropole, I went to a bazaar where I bought a swimsuit and some sandals. After that, the driver drove me to Tudakul Lake, which is a lake located near Buhara. And I was going to swim there, and that's why I, I bought the swimsuit. But the water of the lake was so dirty and it was so windy that I decided not to swim there. It was impossible to swim there. I asked the driver why the water of the lake was so brown and muddy and he told me that the water there is brown because of the clay that's in the earth. Maybe he's right, yeah, maybe it's the clay or maybe it's because the lake is located on the desert so the water turned brown from the sand. Perhaps that is the reason why, but I've never seen a lake that's so brown. The water itself like, is like super brown, like coffee latte. It looks like a huge lake made of coffee latte. I sat there on the windy beach, eating samsa, gazing at the coffee latte lake, and talking with my driver, and just chilling. And after that, we went back um, into our car and made our way back to Bukhara. We drove through the desert. The desert was nice, it was pretty. Um, and after several minutes, or no, no, it's not several, after about, was it 30 minutes? Or maybe about after an hour, I was back in Bukhara. And I went to a cafe. And after the cafe, I went to a bathhouse, or should I say a sauna? A bathhouse slash sauna. And this place is called Hammomi Kunjak. So that is spelled H-A-M-M-O-M-I space K-U-N-J-A-K, Hammomi Kunjak. It is a sauna located in the very center of Buhara. And it's split into men's and women's sections. And I went into the women's section, obviously. And there... I had to undress, I had to become naked, like everyone has to become naked. And I went into the sauna and what they did was these two ladies, the staff who worked there, they basically um, like put a, mm, they bring several buckets full of hot water that naturally springs in this area. So the bathhouse is located on a spot where there is a natural spring and they splash you with this hot natural water which feels nice and after that they put clay on your body and the clay just stays there on your skin and you're supposed to lie down on the hot stone naked with the clay on your body and 
you're supposed to relax. Uh, something that I did, yes. And after that, you take a shower in the sauna and get the clay off your body. And then you lie on a big slab. You lie on a big stone slab, which is hot. And then the ladies massage you. In the men's section, the men massage the men. So no worries, gentlemen. <laughs> the, and, um, and in the women's section, the female staff massage the women. And I was massaged by a lady. And it, I mean, it was okay. So it was a nice massage, it was relaxing. But after the massage, she started slapping. My body, like really hard, and this slapping movement was also part of the massage. So, first, she massaged me in like the usual way, like relaxing your muscles, all of that. But then, after that, she like slapped me really hard, like on the legs, on the thighs, on the calves, um, on the back as well. And it really hurt. <laughs> and, and I told her it hurt, so please don't slap my back. And she said, okay. But then she kept on slapping my waist and butt and legs. And I was like, is this supposed to be beneficial for my health or is it just supposed to hurt? <laughs> and um, yeah, that was an interesting massage. Um, yeah. But it was relaxing, it was nice. And、uh, there was only one other person in the sauna. And she was a girl from Italy, and she was also getting massaged while、well, I was getting massaged. So, after we got out of the sauna and got dressed, we started talking and we became friends. And we walked around, we took a walk in central Buhara. We went to Chor Minor together. And after that, we went to one of the madrasas in the center. And in the madrasa, they were serving dinner. For nine dollars for tourists and in the courtyard, so like under the open sky. And we went into the madrasa to eat this delicious dinner under the open sky, under the starry night sky,、um, inside a courtyard in a madrasa. We talked a lot about a lot of things, it was fun. All right, with that, my friends. I would like to finish today's episode. My adventures in Bukhara will continue in the following episode. I hope you were able to learn new phrases and vocabulary today. As usual, please rate the podcast and write your comments and questions to my email or Instagram account. I will be very happy to answer them. Please take care. Have a nice week. And see you soon in the next 